movies at this. This is where the fun begins. Take a seat. Hey there, guys, and welcome back to the Jedi Jargon Podcast. This is episode 13. We are your number one source for in-depth discussion, news, and analysis of all things Star Wars. We're a podcast by Star Wars fans for Star Wars fans. My name is Jedi Master OB, and I first experienced the franchise through LEGO Star Wars. And this right here is Jedi Master Jeff, the boy who faced Darth Maul at Disney World and lived to tell the tale. Jeff, how are you doing, my brother? I'm feeling excellent. I'm feeling spooky. And Mandalorian is back, man. Mando is back. Baby Yoda is back. And, you know, most importantly, Star Wars is back. Um, In a year of just, I don't even know what. (laughs) I don't even know what to call it, what to consider this year. It's been kind of a wash, but Star Wars is back and things are starting to look up. First of all, I think it feels great to have some new content from any franchise coming out this year because I know we got Black Widow delayed. We got a lot of other movies and films delayed until next year or even right. later. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just really great to uh, to get something new, to uh, change up the monotony of social distancing, quarantine life. Yeah, and what's nice is after uh, this season wraps up of The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, we will be getting WandaVision our first taste of the MC the, of phase four of the MCU. And I'm really looking forward to that too. That's very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe. Definitely. Um, I know I also saw, I forget where it was on Twitter or maybe some Instagram meme page. I don't really remember, but it was um, a quote from Ewan McGregor about the upcoming Kenobi series for 2022. And I think they were doing screen tests with his costume. So he says he walked into the trailer or whatever and he saw his robes, you know, his 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 tan and brown robes and the boots and he felt so happy to to see all that again and that just got me excited. It's like, oh man, you know, it's it's finally coming together. He's coming back. It's real. And I also saw a different report that he was uh also in costume snooping around the set of uh Mandalorian season three. Oh, that's funny. Which is hilarious. That's um, hilarious. It'd be obviously it would be totally canon breaking if he, you know, was to sneak on camera and appear in a scene. Uh, right. So, right. But it's good to know that he's uh, having some fun with it. You know. For sure, dude. I'm I'm looking forward to that. That's one of those things where it's like you know, listen. And I know we've had the discussions about the sequel trilogy and everything. You know, it, it, it's it's a done deal. It's it's finished. But but going forward, you know, the 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 Kenobi series, uh, the potential uh, other series that we might be getting, um, you know, the Cassian Andor series, for example. You know, these are things that I'm willing to wait for. You know, we Absolutely. have something we have something very good in the Mandalorian. It has a you know high rewatch value. Um, there's no need to rush this. You know, I'm willing to wait two years or more for a good know a good kenobi series because that's one show they need to do right yeah and it's almost like lucasfilm kind of has their hands full with these projects right like the mandalorian who knows how many seasons it's going to go on for right but i'm happy with that i'm happy with getting a kenobi series it's almost like we we don't need a movie right now you know like after the two spinoff movies and the sequel trilogy, I feel like any more movies would 
just further the franchise fatigue that we're we're kind of getting out of now you know now that we've had like a year off but right still still i think we're good with without any movies for the time I, being. I, I agree. I think there's a bit of oversaturation. And, I, I, you know, I'm very excited for the upcoming High Republic publishing um, series that we're going to be seeing, at, you know, at the, at the turn of the year. Um, you know, they're kind of, Lucasfilm and, 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 their, and their properties, you know, they're trying to move the franchise in a new direction, which is very exciting. Um, you know, a whole different, you know, time period. And maybe that might turn into TV shows, movies, you know, series, or, or what so. have you. Hopefully so. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. hope, I, I know we got some new concept art this week, which is very exciting, to say the least. Um, so that's that's coming down the pipe. But anyway, so back back to the Mandalorian, though. Yes. Um, season two, episode one came out yesterday. We are recording on Halloween. Today is Friday, right? Saturday. Saturday. Oh my God. Yeah. Today is Saturday. Yeah. Today's Saturday. Um, yesterday was Friday where the, the episode dropped. Uh, I don't know about you, but I watched it as soon as I got up. Oh yeah, yesterday it was morning. Like, it was like kind of a Mandalorian miss, you know, Mandalorian miss morning. Right. I got up nice and early, got right to the TV, and uh, it was it was freezing in my house. You know, you know, you know that feeling when you get out of bed and you're right. just absolutely cold. It was snowing out. I was freezing cold, but I grabbed a blanket, hot tea, and. Uh, watched the episode and it was excellent it was absolutely excellent i loved it it's not like the best episode of the series so far yeah definitely a good introduction to the season two for sure right right i've seen people on on the twitter machine saying oh my god this is the best episode of the mandalorian that we've ever seen blah 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 and i i don't agree but here's the thing though and and i think i was leading into this with with, you know when i texted you after i watched it yesterday yeah Yeah. it's just that I don't think it matters. Like, when I say I don't think it was the best, that doesn't mean that I think the episode was bad. I think it was a really great episode, and I was very entertained by it. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is, like, I don't think it matters. Like, I don't think ranking the episodes does any tangible... It doesn't achieve anything. You no, know, you shouldn't no compare to them to each other. Right. No. They're, all, they're all different. And I think one thing that I love about The Mandalorian, and we can get into this in a little bit, is just how each episode kind of has a different... Um, inspiration from you know films right. and TV um, of the past, right. and I and I and I I think that you need to appreciate these as individual pieces of art that fit into a larger um, a larger body. So I, I I'm not gonna you know unless I'm you know totally blown away like I was by um, the Siege of Mandalore arc <laughs> from the Clone Wars. Like I'm not gonna be like oh my god this is the best we've seen you know. Because uh, I don't think it serves a right. pur- I don't think it serves a purpose. I think this was a really solid episode. It was a really solid introduction, like you said, into season two. I uh, got some great exposition. Got some uh, some great conflicts. Uh, you know, the story progressed, um, and, and I'm looking forward to the rest of this season. So let's jump into it. I will throw it to you uh, to do a rundown of the episode. Just go over, you know, what what happened, and we'll dig into the Easter eggs. You know, the, all the things that happened in season two, episode one of The Mandalorian. Now, uh, before I throw it to you, I'm just going to preemptively sound the spoiler klaxons because we are getting into significant spoiler territory. If you have not seen The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1, do so now and then come on back. You've been warned. All right. Chapter 9 begins in an interesting sort of urban planet 
It's very dark. Uh, the Mandalorian enters the frame with the child in tow, and they're surrounded by some really interesting graffiti. I really, I really uh, liked the graffiti. By the way, we can get into that after my breakdown. But they walk forward. They go to this sort of uh, fight, fight night type thing on the planet. Two uh, Gamorians are fighting in the ring. And it looks like Mando has some business with one of the attendees of this fight. He asks him where he can find another Mandalorian because he's looking for another Mandalorian to help him track down the Jedi Order, of course, for the child. This guy doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to get right into business. You know, pleasure before business. Let's watch the fight. Let's enjoy the fight. That sort of happens a little bit. They watch the fight for a little bit. The fight is ended promptly by the the alien in question, and uh, some chaos ensues. Right. He takes it outside. I love that part right there yeah. because the Mandalorian, you know, he, he goes in and and he's looking for his people. He's trying to go from, you know, covert to covert um, to bring the child back to the Jedi, right? That's his objective. Right. And he, and he goes to this guy, and he's like, hey, like, do you know, like, blah, blah, how to get there, blah, blah. And and I loved how he, this, this alien whose name, I don't know if it was mentioned or, or whatever, he just shoots the Gamorrean that's fighting. He's like, which one do you think is going to win, blah, blah, placing a bet. And then he totally, you know, changes the situation, and I love that. Um, but, but one thing I really enjoyed even more than that, um, as I was watching that scene unfold, um, I realized, oh, man. Lucasfilm did it again, where the footage that we saw in the trailer, the majority of the footage was from the first five minutes of the first part of the new season. Just like in The Rise of Skywalker, all the, tr- the footage from the trailers was, you know, Ray training um, on Agent Kloss and all this stuff. Um, and, and, and Ben, uh, Kylo Ren talking to the Emperor, all within the first five minutes of the film. And it was the same thing with this episode. I think a lot of the, the footage from the trailer was from this first part of the episode. Right. And the alien's name is Gore Koresh, by the way. So, after he takes him outside, um, well, actually, before he takes him outside, when he, the Gore Koresh surrounds Mando and the child with some guards, where, you know, in that situation, of course, Mando kind of breaks out the whistling birds, I believe they're called, right? Right. And I thought it was a great little moment. Uh, the child saw the whistling birds come out and just, and he was like, nope. <laughs> and he, uh, he, shut, he shut himself in there for safety. Um, then they go outside. They discuss um, with some, you know, he ties him up, hangs him up over a light post and asks him, you're going to, you know, you're going to give me the information now, Right. So, he ends up telling him that there is a Mandalorian, uh, and he's on Tatooine, right? They fly over to Tatooine, where they are reunited uh, in Mos Eisley Bay with the mechanic Pelimato. She's there. She missed the kid, which is great. Um, I found it kind of funny how she's like, I think she said something to him along the lines of like, 
if you ever encounter any more of these guy little guys, uh, <laughs> I'd gladly have one. Um, she loves the the child as we all do, and it ends up coming up in conversation that the Mandalorian, if there is one still alive, was rumored to be uh, in Moss Pelgo, right? Mando takes the speeder that he used in the last season. Again, with the child still in tow, they go over to uh, Moss Pelgo. Walks into a bar. Asks the bartender where the Weequay bartender, by the way. It's very interesting how uh, we see the we see all these like familiar species again and again. Um, but he ends up telling him that you know, I'm looking for a Mandalorian. What's that? I don't know. I don't know what a Mandalorian is. Someone who looks like me. Ah, the Marshal. And then seemingly right then and there, we see the Marshal emerge through the door of this bar. And he's wearing none other than Boba Fett's armor. Albeit, it's a little scuffed, a little damaged. And it's not, it's seemingly not complete. Uh, right. So let's dig into that for a sec. So yeah. when when the marshal came in to the cantina, I was like, oh my God, it's Boba Fett, as you probably were too at first. I don't know if, if you were the same as me, but I thought for a second, like, oh my God, that's Bo-, you know, it's Boba Fett's armor has to be him. Right. That was my first thought. Then my second thought was, wow, this dude really looks like a person who's cosplaying as Boba Fett because this armor doesn't look like it fits him really well. He looked really, yeah. he looked really thin and wiry. You know, he wasn't wearing anything besides like the chest piece, the shoulder pieces, and the helmet. Yeah. You know, and the and, wrist, and, and, the and it wrist looked pieces and, and the wrist pieces ex- exactly in the jetpack, and it looked very out of place. And I'm like, oh, right. this is kind of weird. And then he takes <laughs> off his helmet, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that's not Tamar Morrison. Yeah, it's all intentional. And right. that's why I knew. That's why my take initially was the opposite of yours, which is that, okay, this must be someone who found his armor near the um, Sarlacc pit, or something like that. And he ends up telling him that he got it from some Jawas. And it's really interesting, and it it goes right along with uh, all these themes of classic Western movies and samurai films, is that this guy, the marshal. He's not a sheriff or anything, anybody special. He's just someone who was caught up in a crossfire with the uh, Miners Guild, who right. actually took right. over right after the um, the Empire fell. Now, they, they took control of Mospelga. Interestingly enough, so so the Marshal's name is, is Cobb Vanth, and he's a character yeah. many Star Wars fans know from the Aftermath trilogy of books. And his story that he told was actually portrayed in, in the books, um, so that was a little nod. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was a little nod to uh, to the fans of the of the literature. Uh, that's one thing I really am excited for is you know, Lucasfilm bringing a lot of these literary characters onto the small and big screens, um, yeah. and, and and bringing them you know into li- into live action. It's it's a very very nice nod to the fans um, of the books. Now it wasn't completely a hundred percent faithful to the story as written in the aftermath trilogy, but again that doesn't really matter. So we got Cobb Vanth. He is the marshal. He is protecting this town. He somehow um, traded uh, with the Jawas for Boba Fett's armor. Right. And 
Mando isn't so happy about that when he sees that this guy just nonchalantly takes off his helmet and starts drinking. He knows right away he's not a Mandalorian, right? And he tells him, he pretty much demands him to take it off or I will. And they're not friendly at first. Vanth actually, the marshal actually gets up. They're ready to have a standoff. But then there's seemingly some sort of earthquake. Um, and they go outside and we see that it's actually not an earthquake at all. It's an enormous crate dragon, which I, I thought it was really interesting. It's the first time we've seen that creature in live action, I believe, right? The first time that we saw or heard of the crate dragon was in episode four when C-3PO and R2-D2 were wandering through the Tatooine deserts after they crash landed their escape pod. We saw a skeleton lying in the desert, and I yeah. thought that was really cool to bring that back for this episode. Oh, yeah. And that's that's just... The Mandalorian series has been doing this this whole time, right? Every, all, all nine episodes that we've seen so far have been taking all these obscure little nuggets from the original trilogy, even the prequel trilogy, and not so much the sequel trilogy just because, you know, they, they haven't happened yet in canon. Uh, but they're taking all these little nuggets in and uh, kind of having some fun with them, expanding them in a really interesting way. And I really dig that. Oh, um, for sure. They they get into that quite a bit in the uh, Disney gallery making of the Mandalorian Disney Plus series there, which I highly recommend uh, to anyone who's a fan of the series. So they see the Crate Dragon outside, and it's just uh, causing so many problems for the town, and the marshal ends up striking a deal with Mando. If you help me, help me kill this thing, the armor's all yours, right? The marshal's just a really stand-up guy, which is cool. Uh, he's just looking out for his town, which is the whole reason why he even wears the armor in the first place. Like I was saying earlier, that plays into a lot of the Western themes that this show is inspired by, you know, just an ordinary guy trying to protect his town. Um, but anyways... Uh, they end up riding off into the desert on speeders. Uh, actually, uh, Mando's on his speeder. And the marshal is on an engine of a pod racer, which I thought was just the coolest thing ever. Uh, I, I love that. I put a smile on my face right away. I know a <laughs> lot of people were showing side-by-sides of this episode to The Phantom Menace, and a lot of people think that it was Anakin Skywalker's pod racer because they look almost identical. You know, when you adjust mm -hmm. for the wear and tear of the of the decades that it, you know in, in between, um, which I think is great. I think that was awesome. A really great. You know, it it it, it bordered on the line of fan servicey, and there was a lot of fan servicey stuff in this episode, but it didn't. None of it crossed the line for me. No. Uh, one thing that I, I also to go back to um, when. Mando got to the uh, the docking bay in Mos Eisley. Um, the the mechanic there, who's again the name of the mechanic is escaping me. Uh, she has R five D four, R five from oh, yeah. from A New Hope. And I thought that was so funny. We we saw R five last season for for a split second for a um for a little cameo, but I it, I I love that. You know, it's just that little attention to detail that you know casual fans of the Mandalorian aren't going to notice but you know a lot of the hardcore Star Wars fans like us are going to are going to really enjoy um I think 
R5, just like Jar Jar Binks, is one of those characters where the entire saga hinges on them, kind of like a butterfly effect, butterfly effect uh, yeah. that a lot of people don't think about. Because if R5 was taken in by the Lars family in Episode Four, then you know the whole we, thing, we, the, whole thing the whole yeah. thing wouldn't have happened. <laughs> and and I've seen there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there that R5 was in on the bit. And he sacrificed himself so R2 could go on his mission, which I thought was really funny. Um, yeah, they, like, spoke to each other, like, yeah. on the Jawa crawler or right. whatever. Like, sand crawler, they yeah. Got off. And, um, he, you know, R2 probably said to him and Droid, like, look, I need to get the hell out of here. If they pick you, you got to, like, you know, malfunction or something. Make right. something up on the spot. Right. <laughs> so I can I can get out of here. Right. The galaxy depends on it. And R5 was like, yeah, bet. <laughs> no, and, and that's listen, such an interesting little theory. I think if they had given it any more time, that it, then it would have been very fan servicey. You know, I think right. it's just you need to introduce it and and move on. You know, it's not like it's like I've seen a lot of those TikToks where it's like when they when a, when a famous celebrity comes on a sitcom and like, they bump <laughs> yeah. into someone, they're like, "Oh, hey guys!" and the whole crowd starts cheering. You know, it's like R five D four. It's like, oh my god. Um, yeah. So so anyway <laughs> anyway uh, so so Mando. Uh, and Cobb Vanth are traveling on their speeders, and you can take yes. it from there. Yeah. They travel on their speeders where they're greeted by some Tusken Raiders, which, um, in, as we saw in the last season, Mando is actually pretty friendly with these Tuscans. Uh, he's He knows their language. He's seemingly familiar with their culture. Uh, I And... They're pretty cool with them, which is interesting. Uh, you know, we've always kind of seen them in in one way uh, in the movies, like they're right. just these like hostile beasts. I love the nuance that this series is giving, yeah, to the Tusken yeah. Raiders, and, to the Sand um, People. And interestingly enough, I found out today yeah. that Lucasfilm had actually hired a deaf actor to create the um, the sign language that the Sand People use oh. after a hearing actor noticed that you know that was that was missing so so that that hearing actor made the suggestion hey maybe we should hire someone who was deaf to create this sign language um tuscan sign language tsl almost you know uh which i thought was really 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 cool and a, and a really cool addition uh to it that's great i know like and that's what we love about star wars right the star wars universe that's why we're here on this podcast is that literally anything that you see on screen at any point has its own story, uh, has its own, like, as, as we can see with the Tusken Raiders, they have their own language, their own culture that we're learning a little bit more about now in this Mando series. That's great, man. And that's one that's thing I, I think that this series does really well, that it provides nuance to a lot of things that previously there hasn't been the time to let it breathe. You know, so where you have the Tusken Raiders who were, you know, these savages in episode four and episode two, um, you know, there wasn't enough time to really flesh any of that out because they're more so plot devices than anything else. Uh, When you have when you have a 50 something minute episode, you know, almost a half of a feature length movie, uh, you you have the time to explore. this group a little bit more and i really enjoyed that and i think that this is another thing 
that makes the longer runtime for this season. Uh, I'll, I heard that the majority of the episodes are supposed to be similar in length to this episode, which is really great because I know some of the episodes last season, they were a little bit too short for me. Uh, things felt a little bit too rushed, and I was always checking to see how much time there was left in the episode. Cause like, oh man, you know, it's almost over. But this episode, it, it, it breathed really well. A lot happened. You move from place to place to place. It didn't feel rushed. The pacing was really good in this episode. So I think that the, the longer runtime is really a benefit. Oh, it's key. Yeah, because a lot of what... And they also mentioned before the season even came out, uh, I believe Favreau and Filoni mentioned in interviews, that a big focus in their writing for this season was making each plot also... Uh, you know, as we go through the season, they, like, connected. You know, a lot of the times last season some of the plots of the episodes felt a, they, they a little bit suffered like from the Clone Wars syndrome. A little bit like a side mission? Yeah, they're like side missions. You right. Know? That it's kind of Clone clone Wars syndrome, as we can affectionately call it, because a lot of the time in, in Clone Wars, okay, the Jedi got, they crash-landed on this planet, and they have to get off, right? Like, stuff like that. But anyways, moving forward with our little recap of the episode... After they team up with these raiders, they come to a sort of agreement. And, uh, you know, of course, Mando helps broker this agreement, which is that they need to work together to kill this crate dragon for the benefit of both sides. Right. And the Tuscans even agree that they will not raid Mos Pelgo, uh, afterwards if they successfully work together and kill this thing which was interesting um kind of again it gives new life to these tuscans that we only thought were just you know savage pe- you know savage men that just ra- you know, right. raid villages and right whatnot. A- and listen to their benefit though the negotiations were short yes they were <laughs> <laughs> um I, yeah so so after that i thought it was really interesting you know you kind of get these these archetypes of, uh, you know, the villagers, the, the 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 people, the humans, you know, and I think it's mm-hmm. honestly a little bit of a, maybe a meta commentary on our society, you know, the, and I, I well actually the the villagers were kind of multiracial, uh, but I think more so just in the fact that they're humans and then the same people are you know obviously not humans, um, th- the fact that they didn't want to work with the other and they were scared of the other and the whole point was getting them to work together you know put their differences behind them and and face a common enemy mm-hmm. um and, and and you're right it was really cool uh when the sand people agreed you know we're not going to attack um moss pelgo unless one of the moss pelgans if we'll call them that attacks the sand people first right you know right so they go back to Mos Pelgo uh, with the Tuscans in tow, and they pack up some explosives, a good amount of explosives, right? And they travel back together to the cave, the, to the crate nest, uh, where the beast is, I believe, at first sleeping, right? And uh, Right, sleeping, yeah. The whole fight sequence, I was really, I was really kind of impressed by this because i think in 
in terms of sheer scale, that whole sequence when they're fighting the dragon, it was just, I, I think, larger in scale than anything we saw in season one because uh, they end up waking the beast, fighting it with to no avail, right? They all harpoon it at first and try to pin it down and get it to land on top of the explosives. That doesn't work, right? And they kind of, they just keep shooting at it, driving well, it back well, to, a little to bit. Go, to go back a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was so funny when they first get there they first get to the to the cave uh, oh, which was yeah, actually which was actually that. an abandoned sarlacc pit i don't know if it was the great pit of carcoon but they said it was an abandoned sarlacc pit that the crate dragon had taken over so right. so they pull up the squad pulls up you got this is before know. they double back to mos pelgo and team up with the villagers oh right 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 this right is right, the right, first right. time they check right, it out like, right. with just the tuscans so one of the tuscans goes up with a bantha and the bantha's like on a rope that's tied to like a stick in the ground. So there is everyone watching from behind from a ridge, sand people and um, and the Mandalorian and the marshal. And they're watching this Tuscan raider stand at the mouth of this cave. And there's the bantha there tied to the stick, tied to the you know with the with the rope. And the Tuscan raider lets out the the classic Tuscan Raider, you know, yell, the battle cry, so to speak. Yeah. We all know what that is. And we hear we hear a rum I'm not gonna no way. Um <laughs> my my Tuscan's a little rusty. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we hear the rumbling of the crate dragon and it comes forward and it you know, you can see it coming out of the cave and it rushes toward the Tuscan Raider and the Bantha. And it just eats the Tuscan Raider, leaving the Bantha there. And it's like, oh my god! It, it was so much funnier. It was so much funnier that it left the Bantha. I know. <laughs> I know. And they're all just kind of like, oh shit. Also, <laughs> another thing the there. the whole like nobody mourned in this episode. So many people died in this, and no one was like, <laughs> no one was like, oh, there goes Craig or there goes Bill. It's like, oh god, no. They kind of just like they kind of looked at that Tuscan that just got murked, and they looked at each other and kind of shrugged, kind of shrugged oh and God, moved on, shut. you know, which which was funny. I thought that was really good. I, I thought it was pretty funny too, uh, right. honestly. Like, in a, and when they in go a weird back, sort of way, when they go back to Moss Pelgo, um, th- and they're loading up the Banthas with the explosives, and everyone's getting ready. Uh, one of the Sand People drops one of the explosives, and one of the villagers like freaked out. It's like, oh my god, you know that's explosive, and and the <laughs> and the marshal was like, chill the heck out, man. Like, it's all good. Like it was an accident, um, which was very funny. And that's kind of when I knew that those explosives would play a big part because they're kind of shining such a big light on them. Right, right. So, getting back to the fight with the crate dragon after they, um regroup with the villagers grab the explosives and head back they set up a sort of trap of explosives in the ground and as i was described as i was beginning to describe earlier they lure the dragon out again and the idea is to sort of harp they had these sort of harpoons in place just to kind of pin it down above the explosives in the ground and detonate them once the beast's belly is right above it, right? 
and I'm pretty sure they actually get it at, at one point, right? They um, they had the detonator, they pressed the button, you know, they, they detonated the explosives, but it, I don't think it really did anything. Um, I think it just made the beast more angry, and it went on top of the of like a higher clip, a higher cliff above the Sarlacc pit, and it began spraying this sort of acidic spit. <laughs> on, this is the best way to describe it. On, I mean, on everybody. It is a it is a fire breathing space dragon, so nothing yeah. nothing less would be required. Right, right, and I I wasn't surprised, but it was like it was some gruesome stuff, right? Like villagers and sand people were both getting like melted by this thing. So, and I thought this was probably the coolest part of the whole thing. Um. The Marshal and Mando both take off in their jetpacks to fight this thing on top of the cliff. And that's what I was getting at earlier in that in the first episode alone, we're already seeing a fight sequence way larger in scale than anything they did in the first season. And I, I just, I really... Oh, yeah, it was, visually, it was visually stunning. Yeah. Uh, and, to see, and to see Din Djarin fighting alongside, granted it wasn't, it wasn't Boba Fett, but someone in Boba Fett's armor, you know, to see them, you know, shooting together, moving together, it, it was just such a cool visual, you know. Yeah. Something out of um, something out of you know uh, a Star Wars fanboy, you know, dreams, you know. I know. To. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you have, um, like for me as a kid, just you know, to speak to that, like a kid's dream. It's like when you had Jango Fett, like the little Jango Fett figure, and the Boba Fett figure. And they were like flying around together, you know, like you kind of like it was like cannon breaking or whatever. But like you had the boat, you had both of them in your toy set and you just had them both together. Like it's it was like that, you know, like we've never seen, um, you know, something like that. And uh, on screen and it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed that part of it. And um, they continue fighting it on top of the cliff. And eventually it gets to the point where they sort of maneuver it back down onto the ground level. It spits again and kills some more people. But Mando grabs uh, this bantha that is just riddled with explosives, that poor thing. <laughs> and unfortunately, banthas were harmed uh, in the killing of this dragon. And um, he sort of positions himself right in front of the thing, tells everybody else to get the hell out of the way. I love that right I love that right there when he says to Cobb Banth, like, I don't care what happens. Like you take the child, you get him out of here. Exactly. Like he he was like, I might die doing this. Like I'm not gonna die because I'm the Mandalorian. The show's called the Mandalorian. But I might die. You know, I don't know if I do. In the event, um, I bequeath you this child who is now your charge. <laughs> right. But it's in and like a, a little tangent before we continue. It's interesting you say we know he's not going to die. The show is called the Mandalorian. A lot of people are theorizing that the Mandalorian might actually be in reference to the child and not actually Din Djarin, uh, which is just an interesting little theory that's been kind of circulating I, in that, in that like he is technically a Mandalorian uh, now. With, did I just you know, old takes in... expose myself? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Oh, I mean, God. I had to, I had to go there. I had to go there. That uh, would be interesting. That would be yeah. interesting if he did die. Um, but you never know. You never know. I know. Like I, he definitely could. That's the thing, because a lot of, you know, ob obviously the whole series revolves around the child, right? 
and the future of the Jedi Order. He is kind of the future of the Jedi Order. He'd gladly give up his life for the kid. And uh, But to be fair, though, I think it would be pretty hard to get dialogue and capture, you know, the footage of an animatronic doll, whereas you have a guy in a suit that can right. talk and is a real human. Um, so, I mean, I think it's possible that he could die, but I also think that what would you do with the show? Like, it wouldn't make sense because... People wouldn't watch. I mean, people would watch the Baby Yoda show, but but it would. But he could be like the caretaker role could be taken up by someone else, like Ezra Bridger or Ahsoka Tano, or even another Mandalorian and um, Sabine Wren. You know, like it. Right. There are other characters that could kind of take care of the kid. But anyway, we'll kind of get through the rest of our. Uh, recap here before we get into theorizing like that um the beast swallows him whole along with the explosives ridden bantha and everyone kind of looks on in shock and it's kind of just waiting for something to happen and something does happen uh he detonates inside of the crate dragon and flies out in style right he uh, uses his rifle his his electrically charged rifle to kind of shock the yep. beast. Yep, to kind of like stun it from the inside out. And it was a really, I it was really cool how they were able to pull that off on screen. And uh, the beast is defeated. The Tuscans take their prize. Uh, and the villagers go home. And uh, as agreed upon, uh, Vanth gives up the armor of Boba Fett to Mando, which I thought and, was really cool because yeah. I didn't I didn't completely think that he would, right? You know, he right. he turned out to be a man of honor, you know, a, a man of his word, um, which I thought was really nice, a little yeah. bit of a subversion of my expectations at least. Yeah, Timothy Oliphant is a great actor, by the way. Uh, he was I haven't watched the series, but I know he played a similar cowboy sheriff type role in, I believe, Deadwood. And it's a HBO Western limited series that came out a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he also played the sheriff, like the sort of, you know, role within a role of the sheriff in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he was, he was right, 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 right. And right. that, too. Um, so anyway, he gives up the armor as agreed upon. And we see Mando and the child uh, drift Across the desert on their speed on you know the back of the speeder, we see the binary sunset. And before the credits roll, uh, because it kind of feels like they were about to roll after that, it would make sense that they would. We see a cloaked figure uh, with a sort of long rifle and club, uh, bald figure, older. And we turn around and we know immediately who it is, because it is Tamora Morrison. It's Boba Fett. He's alive. He's back. As, you know, everything has been sort of hinting at this. Everything is, you know, all signs have kind of been pointing at the fact that he's still alive. So many years of uh, theorizing whether or not he lived uh, or died in the Sarlacc pit. He lived, baby. He's still kicking. And we saw him. And it was, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, listen, it could be Captain Rex. You never know. It's it, They're all clones. Uh, that's true. They're all clones. That's true. No, it wouldn't be Captain Rex because um, Boba Fett was genetically unaltered, so he aged at a normal rate. So he would be about 60 years old. Well, the, Tamora Morrison's going to be 60 this year, or he already is. Um, but but 
but Boba Fett would be around, you know, late middle-aged um, by that point. I know that Captain Rex was an old man with a white beard by the Battle of Endor, which he partook in, and they kind of retconned him into hey, being even a part in of. Even he was, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, I, and again, I actually, I hope we get to see Rex, too, on another note. Um, but but when he turned around, I was like, is that him? Could it be him? And my first thought was like, nah, he's not tan enough to be <laughs> Tamora Morrison. Because <laughs> the tone, the, cl- the clones are a little tan, you know? They're, they're, yeah. they're, their skin tone is, is pretty tan. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, man, that can't be him. I'm like, wait a minute, that was him. Um, but he doesn't look well. That's that's the thing. Like he he looks like he's seen some stuff. Well, then and again, think, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi is prime example. The Tatooine sun, not good. really takes a toll. The suns, the suns really take a, <laughs> take toll. a toll on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was very exciting. I mean, I love that they brought, I love that they brought him back, in a way that was different than he just shows up in his armor. You know, that that that, that, that whole subversion with the armor, I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm looking forward. I mean, is he going to fight Mando for his armor? Is that going to be the next episode? Are they going to team up? You know, um, what's going to happen when Mando finds out that uh, Boba Fett's not a real Mandalorian? Will he let him keep his armor? You know, I mean, who, who knows? That's going to be so interesting, right? I'm looking forward to the exploration of that idea and that Jango Fett and Boba Fett are not true Mandalorians. They are just self interest they were uh, self-interested mercenaries and um it'll be interesting to see what mando thinks of that uh, how they interact i'm looking forward to that right um and also if he does get his armor back and put it back on i i think that's a given right that will probably happen and when it does that'll be epic uh we'll see the armor on who it belongs to right right um, and, and listen properly fitting on on the one hand i would love for this season to bring back you know obviously bring back boba fett get him back into the suit get him back into the armor uh bring back sabine wren ahsoka tano maybe captain rex i would love for all of that to happen but i also hope that this season one thing i'm i'm nervous about and i and i think that the writers at lucasfilm are you know beyond my comprehension so i shouldn't be worried but that this is just going to be a series of cameos Right, and and I don't. I'm not too worried because I trust in Filoni and I trust in Favreau. Right, like they've they have done a really good job of incorporating familiar elements. Right, like we talked about all the little Easter eggs that we saw throughout this one and throughout season one. None of that was overbearing. None of that was just like you know, you know fan service for the sake of fan service it actually right, right. all of these things played a purpose right and worked and were not too much like you said so mm-hmm. i'm not worried about that and uh, i think that boba fett's uh, future in this series is bright uh it'll be interesting to see because there's no more empire right before his allegiance was to not really to the empire but to vader and the emperor because they were the highest bidders right so he doesn't really have that same sort of allegiance anymore so it'll be interesting to see whether or not he helps out mando and the child maybe you know pretends to and then maybe even kidnaps the child or something like that or i mean he is a bounty hunter yeah exactly and there's still a bounty out on the on the child 
yeah, he could go and give the child back to Moff Gideon, which is which, which I can't crazy. can't wait for him to come back. I know, I know. You know, with uh, the dark saber and everything. Um, you know, one thing that I also noticed—I don't know if you picked up on this. Uh, first of all, this episode was another classic western in the mold of Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. First of all, I love that. I love that. You know, they respect what came before. You know, they they they're doing this in the mold of the greats. One thing that I also picked up on is that the latter half of this episode, when they were fighting the Great Dragon, was literally Jaws. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me let me jump into Explain it. Explain that. Yeah. So, when do we first see the Great Dragon? Like towards the beginning of the episode, right after they get to Mos Palga. No, how do we see him? What what does he look like? I wasn't even sure what it was at first. Exactly. It emerges from the sand and it's like this weird sort of beast swimming. Exactly. It it's burrowing it's burrowing, swimming essentially under the sand, just right. like just like Jaws. Right? Just like Jaws. And they go out on this mission to hunt and kill the beast. Right? At first I was saying, Oh, this is like Moby Dick or whatever, and then my mom's sitting there and she's like, No, this is Jaws. <laughs> she's like, This yeah. is this is Jaws, like point for point. And I I, I looked it up. Um, I look. Well, I, I rewatch the episode again, and then I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, this lines up with this. This lines up with that. And when the Tuscan Raider drops the explosive, that also happens in Jaws. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing as in Jaws. And how does the shark in Jaws die? Well, um, the the canister is in its mouth. And spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for Jaws, I guess. I mean, it was 1975. I know. If you haven't seen point, it at this point, come on. By this point, come on. Uh, you can pause and watch it right now. You can pause Do and it. come back in three hours. But, you know, <laughs> the, the rifle, and, and he shoots the um, the canister in, in the shark's mouth, and he blows up from the inside, right? Same thing in the episode with the Bantha and Mando, you know, blowing them up from the inside, essentially. And I thought that was such a flipping good spin right because it still works on its own but it borrows these familiar themes these familiar elements right that they just work you know right and and i think again this is why the mandalorian has universal acclaim and why the sequel trilogy does not (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately yeah i mean we're not we're not here to um Talk sequels, not today. Uh, but it, it's funny you say that, right? Because I listened to, I somehow listened just out of sheer curiosity, I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast with Kanye West. And what's interesting is that Kanye is something of a prequels fanboy. He was talking, he got it, he, you know, he, all he does is tangents, but he, he talks about Star Wars at one point. And he says on the podcast that, the prequel trilogy is way better than anything that Disney has made so far. He said, come on, guys, we got to see how Darth Vader was made. It was purely George Lucas's vision, and we can tell that it was purely George Lucas's vision. It worked so well. I just thought that, you know, I know this is a little bit of a no, Kanye-like I, I, tangent. I agree. But, uh, I agree. It's, it's so, it's, you know, even someone of, you know, Kanye West is a little older. He wasn't necessarily, like, I don't I don't know how old he would have been when the originals came out, but 
he pretty much said that he the prequels are his favorite, which makes a lot of sense. Which like know, same for him. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense for Kanye. Right. Right. I, I applaud him. You know, he's a yeah, it, Kanye it, West confirmed prequel fanboy. Yeah, it's like We're person person I don't like has a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean that's that's Kanye West. Like he's right. so all over the place that like with his ideas that like some of it actually kind of makes sense and like you should probably expand upon that idea a little bit more, man. Right. But anyways. Um, yeah. No, I I agree. Listen, we're we're gonna get episode two next week, chapter ten. Yeah. Very excited for it. One thing I also wanted to talk about before we wrap up today, uh, we are recording this on Halloween, October thirty first. Um, tell me your. I'm assuming you dressed up. For Star as Star Wars characters when you were growing up for Halloween, which one was your favorite? So I actually, I yeah, I was I was thinking about this today. Um, you mentioned Halloween costumes earlier. I was thinking, and I'm pretty sure I only dressed up as one Star Wars character for like a proper Halloween trick or treating costume, and it was Darth Vader. Um, it was the complete suit. Um, and I, it came with like a little, you know, Darth Vader mask that had an elastic band, but I didn't want that. I, I, I used the proper Hasbro voice changing. Oh, really? Helmet. Did it with, go? With, did it like, go with costume. your costume, or did it look out of it, place? It didn't look out of place. No, uh, it was a little like big in comparison to the the rest of the suit, but I just, it just didn't seem right to like dress up as Darth Vader. And have this little plastic mask in front of my face. No, right. I mean, that's right. just that again. That speaks to my personality as a fanboy, like, and as a collector of things. Like, I just I want things to be screen accurate. Do you still accurate. have? Do you still have that helmet? I don't. I don't. But I definitely want to get it again. Dude, <laughs> or maybe you, you got to go get the Black one. Series one. Dude, yeah. okay. So I, um. I've been getting into Squadrons recently, Star Wars Squadrons, the game that just came out. We could do a whole episode on that, honestly. Um, but yeah, we should. We should. Uh, but I've been playing I'll that play recently, more, and I'm like, oh man, I kind of want to go get like a Black Series helmet so I can play Star Wars Squadrons. You know, fly my X-wing with the helmet on, really immersive experience. Um, I think that w- that would be funny. Um, oh. I love. I do love those Black Series helmets. They're like a hundred. Hundred something dollars. Yeah. They're not too expensive. But like a buck twenty, a, a you know, a buck a piece. Uh, I right. actually saw. I was so tempted, man, and maybe it's still there. I was at the mall and I was in GameStop the other day. I saw the Black Series Dark Trooper helmet, which Ooh. is essentially like yeah. a a black from Rogue, from Rogue Storm, One, right? Yeah, it was a it's a black stormtrooper helmet. Oh, the the Death Trooper. Not a death trooper. Nope. It was it was a black stormtrooper, like a pro, like you know, standard stormtrooper, right? Black, with like these really cool mirrored black lenses, um, for the the eyepieces, and it's just such a good looking mask. I will, you know, I can actually post this on Twitter, uh, so you guys that are listening can know what I'm talking about. It's so cool. Uh, but anyway, back to costume. Yeah. So I. I mean, I probably did this multiple years in a row. I don't remember at this point. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't remember, but I've probably done this for multiple years. Um, but I had, like, a generic Jedi costume. I was never one, like, growing up, I don't think I ever, like, had, like, a store-bought costume for the most part. It was always, like, putting stuff together at home and, you know, whatever. Um, right. But I did have, like a, like a like, a brown robe that I think my mom got at some... Maybe it was like iParty or something before it was Party City. Um, 
and I had that, and I think I just wore like generic clothes underneath because I didn't have a tunic, I didn't have whatever. Um, and I had one of those spring-loaded lightsabers that I got for my tenth or eleventh birthday. I was in fifth grade. Nice. Um, and that lightsaber actually, it was it, you know one of those one of those cheap Hasbro ones, like thirty or forty bucks, and it was like Anakin's hilt, but it was a green blade, and it was the weirdest thing. Um, you know, the people that make those lightsabers really don't pay attention to screen accuracy when they make them. I mean, I have a <laughs> I have a Qui-Gon hilt, one of those flick sabers, but it's like a red blade. Yeah, I yeah. I, you know? I know those things are those things were just all over the place. Right. And funny. you know, it was really cool. You know, I loved playing Jedi when I was ten years old, as most ten year olds do. Um but now that I'm, you know, twenty three as of a couple weeks ago, happy belated to uh Jedi Master OB here. Um, yes, yes. You know, I'm freaking an adult, like a full adult, and I'm on TikTok, as, you know, I guess adults do, and I'm watching all these Star Wars cosplayers. I'm like, oh, man, that looks so fun. Oh, man, that looks so expensive. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? You know? Like, uh, Cause, cause couple, yeah. Uh, we're just going to just finish up. Just like, yeah, because, I mean, you know, obviously if funds were permitting, I would go on to the shop Disney store right now and buy the complete Jedi tunic and robe and belt set that they, that they sell at galaxy's edge that they're now selling online. And that's like, I mean, it's gotta be 200 and $300 for the whole, for the whole set. And that I doesn't even include the yeah. latter, the lower half of it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think definitely, you know, I know you and I were planning a trip to galaxy's edge and I, I mean, I don't know anymore because it's all closed and, you know, the economy is what it is and, you know, employment is what it is and blah, blah. But, I mean, I'd love to go back. I mean, I'd love to go eventually. Um, and when I do go, I would love to get, you know, get that get that costume set. Because, you know, if you and I want to go to cons, that'd be such a great, you know, such a great thing to do. Whether yeah, it's it be a screen a, accurate Exactly. Costume. Whether it be like an Obi-Wan cosplay or like a generic OC cosplay. Um, you OC. never know. <laughs> the OC. Um, but that's one thing I've noticed, like, as I've gotten older and I'm, and I'm on, you know, in the Star Wars community online, just looking at all these, all these cosplayers, like, oh man, that looks so cool, but it looks so expensive. Oh, it is. It is. There's no if, ands, or buts about that one. And I don't have a 3D printer and I can't make my own clone armor like the guys do on the Rex and Around show. Oh, I'd love to make my own Mandalorian armor. That'd be incredible. That'd be so much fun. Uh, but, yeah money <laughs> right unfortunately right the credits are not are not abundant yeah they don't they don't grow on trees right unfortunately right um i've been seeing so many great you know so many great costumes uh on the internet today uh a lot of family costumes you know cosplaying or not even cosplaying just dressing up for halloween you know as as like the skywalker family um as characters from the prequel trilogy um, one thing that I really do love, you know, with all the new, all the new properties, all the new additions of the franchise, or all the again, all the costumes that we're getting out of it, seeing the Kylo Rens and the Rays and the Finns, you know, people don't like the movies so much. I listen again. I like the sequels. They are what they are. I like them, um, but it's great seeing the costumes. It's great seeing the next generation having, you know, their piece that they can hold on to and say, "Yes, this is my Star Wars." Right. It's awesome. It I is. love it. It is anything. Uh, Anything for the good of the order? Uh, closing thoughts. I mean, I was actually wondering um, what you think. You, you know, we can keep this brief because n more episodes are coming. But what 
do you, what else do you think is going to happen this season? Just in a, in a couple minutes or less. Okay, so like, if I could, quick. if I could give just like my generic arc of where I see this is going, I think Moff Gideon's going to come back. That's going to be a whole thing. Obviously, we're going to see Sabine Wren. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see Ahsoka. I would love to see Ahsoka. Um, the whole mission is for to get him back to the Jedi, not to get him back to his species, but to get him back to the Jedi. So that's the end result. I think we'll see that this season. Um, I think we're going to see a conflict with Boba Fett over the armor within the next two episodes is my best guess. Um, and either Ahsoka, Sabine, or Mando will have the Darksaber at the end of the season. That's interesting, man. I I think I'm pr- I'm pretty much right there with you. I I'm pretty can I'm convinced at this point that I think in the latter half of the season we will we will see Ahsoka and it will be I don't even I don't even want to think about that yet. Like that's just so it's cool but also like kind of concerning too because she's like my, my favorite character in Star Wars and I hope they don't mess it up. Uh, or kill her off in the first on-screen appearance. Oh my god, <laughs> that would be awful. Oh god, live action. Uh, I wouldn't be ready for that. Um, but I know Filoni wrote and is directing Episode Five, so I'm in. You know, Ahsoka is his character, so I'm guessing that's where she's going to be introduced. Uh, that's my, you know, just kind of educated prediction. And I would say that. Yes, there's going to be some serious conflict with Boba Fett and Mando regarding the Mandalorian culture, his past, and everything along those lines. There's going to be a standoff between, and I'm, I'm, I'm just putting this out there, I don't know what episode's going to happen, and maybe even the finale. There's going to be a really tense standoff between Mando, Boba, and Moff Gideon, like all, you know, regarding the child, right? And I think that, you know, that'll be the moment where we get to see where, like, Boba Fett's real uh, allegiances lie. There's going to be something like that. That's my guess. Interesting. That's all I got. Interesting. All right. Hey, well, you heard it here, folks. That'll do it for us here on the uh, on the Jedi Jargon Podcast. It's really great to be back. Really great to be talking The Mandalorian. Really great to be uh, talking Star Wars. I, I, I love this franchise. I You know, I love the community. And I'm, and I'm looking forward, you know, to next Friday and when we can do this all again. So thank you guys for tuning in to the Jedi Jargon Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Jedi Jargon Pod. Please follow us there. We'll follow you back uh, to stay updated on all of our latest content and discourse. Uh, my name is Jedi Master OB. This is Jedi Master Jeff. And remember, the pod will be with you. Always. <laughs>